Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today we dive headfirst into the manhunt heard around the world. Small talk is worth a bag of rocks, so let's dive in. September 12, 2014 was like every other day in the Barrett Township in Pennsylvania until it wasn't. Barrett Township is another one of those small towns where everyone knows everyone. It has a population of just over 4,000 people covering just under 53 square miles, most of which is dense forest. Yes, I said forest and I meant it. The brush is thick. There are caves, coyotes, and bears. Oh my. It's such a small town that it's actually policed by the Pennsylvania State Police instead of a county department. The police in the area work two shifts, 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. and 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Corporal Brian Dixon was finishing a long shift and was heading out the door to go home to his wife and two little boys when he dropped to the ground. Trooper Alex Douglas was on the phone with his girlfriend heading into the barracks, which is also known as a police station, when he heard what he thought was firecrackers. But it wasn't firecrackers. He saw Dixon on the ground and rushed to his aid, kneeling down beside him as his lungs filled with blood, only able to mouth the words, help me. And then it happened, another loud crack and boom, and Trooper Douglas was shot in the pelvis. He dropped and then managed to get onto his hands and knees. He crawled to the front door using the last bit of strength that he had to open it and then collapsed onto the floor of the lobby. An officer in the building leaves his secure area to pull Douglas out of the line of fire. A 911 call is made and the chaos begins. Two helicopters were called to medevac both Dixon and Douglas to the hospital, and armored vehicles were brought to the station to evacuate everyone else in the building. As they were setting up landing areas for the helicopters, they were forced to change locations, saying that they too were under fire. The first helicopter lands, and Trooper Douglas is rushed to the community medical center in Scranton, where he undergoes emergency surgery where he remains in stable but critical condition. The second helicopter asks where they should land, but they're told the heartbreaking news that Corporal Dixon had not survived his injuries and that they needed someone to call the coroner. The final report was that Corporal Dixon had been shot not once, but two times. The entire shooting lasted 90 seconds, a minute and a half that felt like a lifetime. Commissioner Frank Noonan tells CNN that this was a targeted ambush that neither Dixon nor Douglas had a chance to defend themselves. Police immediately jump to action and instruct residents in the area to lock their doors and stay inside. They set up roadblocks in the area, preventing anyone from coming in or going out, hoping to trap the shooter within their perimeter. The barracks became a crime scene and once cleared, were turned into a command center for the entire investigation, stationing everyone who was previously assigned there to nearby barracks until the threat is neutralized. Hundreds of officers from three different departments set out into the dense forest across the street from the barracks and surrounding neighborhoods while helicopters search from above. Unfortunately, whoever was responsible for the attack on their fellow officers was long gone. Whoever the shooter was, he did his research. He studied their patterns, he knew their shifts, and knew that at 7 a.m. and 11 p.m. there would be double the normal amount of officer traffic in and out of the barracks. And he uses this information to assure that he has the largest victim pool possible. 
The following day, officers do a line search in the incredibly dense foliage and find four 308 caliber shell casings that match the projectiles recovered from the scene. They're located in an area consistent to where the shooter would have positioned himself. To know exactly where to position yourself to attack a target without being seen comes with a lot of training. And a 308 caliber rifle is no joke. It's not the kind of gun you buy just to have around. It's the kind of gun that you buy for a purpose. Because of this, police think the shooter may be ex-military, an avid hunter, or may even have law enforcement training. They believe the shooter probably lives within driving distance of his shooting range and visits there regularly. Out of respect for Corporal Dixon, the governor orders that all state flags of the Capitol Complex and Commonwealth facilities fly at half-staff. Authorities plan to interview hundreds of people and tell CNN that they're starting at zero here. They have no description of the shooter or any idea as to what the motive was behind the attack. Residents are warned to be careful. It's not long before the FBI and ATF join in on the manhunt to find whoever is responsible for this ambush. During a press conference on September 15th, Pennsylvania State Police say, This spineless act may have been meant as an act of intimidation. Let me be very clear. We are not intimidated. We are coming for you. I will not read that back in a Liam Neeson voice. I will not read that back in a Liam Neeson voice. Seriously, that made me want to dress up and yell about this being Sparta. Anywho. They warn the public that the shooter is likely unstable and has probably been in contact with police before. They may be local to the Bloomington Grove area and may have been previously investigated by this particular barrack. And it's clear that they've brought in a behavioral analyst because it's added that there was probably a catalyst that triggered the shooter to snap, some kind of a life crisis, which was meant as something for the public to keep in mind when considering their social circles. Is there someone who seems off? Someone who had a major life event that has you worried about what they might do? Yada, yada, yada. It's not long before news outlets get the feeling that something's going on as they watch troops of armed police officers rush back into the woods surrounding the barracks and helicopters are once again seen circling above. No way this dipshit hunkered down in place. It turns out that earlier that morning, a man walking his dog noticed a green jeep partially submerged in a pond in the woods roughly two miles away from the barracks. They were able to get inside the jeep and find all sorts of shit. Military clothing, face paint, two empty rifle boxes, and two additional shell casings matching the ones found in the woods and the bullets from the scene. Whoever drove this jeep was involved in the shooting. That night, a search warrant is issued for a home in Monroe County, but that's all we know at this point. It's a long night, but on the morning of the 16th, Lieutenant Colonel Bivens officially names a suspect, 31-year-old Eric Matthew Frayne, someone who, believe it or not, had absolutely no prior run-ins with the Bloomington Grove barracks at all, which almost makes this even more confusing. This dumbass left his driver's license and social security card in the Jeep he dumped in the pond. Nothing suspicious here, just parking my Jeep in this pond. Don't check anything inside, though. Has all sorts of shit with my name on it. Frayne actively brought identification with him to commit murder and then left it behind. Not fingerprints, actual birth-given identification. This is a special kind of stupid. 
He's described as a survivalist and known conspiracy theorist with a very anti-government ideology who has spoken about wanting to kill cops and commit mass murder. To liven his description up a bit, Frayne also is a LARPer. Yes, live action role play. He likes to dress up with his buddies and pretend to be soldiers from Eastern Europe. Cool dude. Film industry prop master Jeremiah Hornbaker told ABC that Frayne had actually been a weapons consultant for war films for almost 10 years now. I'm guessing that didn't pay much, though, considering this whole ass adult was still living with his parents. I'm judging a book by its cover, and every page inside is the cover. The search warrant executed the night before was on the home of Frayne's parents, whom the abandoned Jeep was registered to. They had been allowing him to drive it for the last two years. They had also allowed their whole-ass adult son to continue to live in their home as he collected guns and bomb-making materials in his childhood, uh, adulthood, bedroom. Most damning of all, they find more shell casings matching the ones found in the woods, in the Jeep, and on scene. This guy either did it, or this is the most successful conspiracy in the history of all mankind. But let's be real, he did it. While digging through his room, they also find a U.S. Army manual titled Sniper Training and Employment. The title page actually instructs the owner to destroy it so the contents aren't disclosed to the public. It's something only military personnel are supposed to have access to, which would make sense considering Frayne's father was a retired Army major. But I did a quick search on Amazon and found as many copies as I could ever need. So that's concerning. Police also find a checklist of frames that he seems to have left behind. It includes undies, yes, the actual word undies, sleep clothes, poncho liner, flashlight, stove, fuel, a rifle, two bombs, fuses, knife, bandana, can't forget about the bandana, a camouflage net, and a space blanket. I had to Google what a space blanket was, and it's one of those blankets that looks like it's made out of foil, which will match his hat nicely. Did I mention how many guns were seized from the home? No, I didn't, because it's 40. That's 30 more than 10, and 10 would have been an impressive number. 10 people could all be juggling guns at the exact same time, and there would still be someone saying, hey, we need more jugglers. And if this were the home of some normal people with a normal family who liked to hunt and shoot on the range and had a military background, maybe this wouldn't be concerning, but no. It was the home of a man who had just opened fire on a police station and used the word undies when making official lists. Subtle is not one of his qualities. His father's quoted in some police documents as saying that his son is an excellent marksman who doesn't miss. His father is the one who taught him how to shoot, which is not something I'm sure I'd be admitting to at this point, and says that Frayne was actually on the rifle team in high school. What the fuck kind of school has a rifle team? Do they also have a knife sharpening team? Unfortunately, his dad comes with more bad news, saying that the 308 is not the only gun missing from the house. He's also missing an AK-47. So that's a problem. While we know who our suspect is and plenty of ridiculous details about his life, what he's done and what he says he plans to do, we still don't know where he is and we don't know where his big ass rifles are. At this point, knowledge is fear. Wanted posters are plastered all over the state of Pennsylvania and surrounding states. Eric Matthew Frayne is listed as 6'1 and 165 pounds. He has blue eyes and recently cut his hair into a mohawk. But cheat cheat, picture what you think a serial killer would look like. That's him. If you see that guy, call police. Seriously, I'll add a photo of this gem to his highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and you'll be like, oh, she right. 
Lieutenant Colonel Bevins says that after interviewing numerous people about the shooter, the common theme is that no one is surprised. This isn't one of those times where everyone was like, he was such a normal person. We never saw this coming. No, he was a wackadoo and the kind of person that when you get news updates on your phone while you're waiting for it to load, you're like, I bet Eric did it. On September 17th, the Pocono Mountain and Wallenpapak school districts both close. The rest of the public is just too great to be responsible for the safety of so many children with a murderer on the loose in the woods. The school districts that do stay open in the area cancel all transportation services, so parents are responsible for bringing the children to and from school until this blows over. Really, really inconvenient for working parents. Just close the damn school. Wayne Memorial Hospital locks down all entrances and exits aside from the main entrance. The entire community is on high alert and doing whatever they can to protect themselves and the people around them. While Frayne is still at large, official charges are filed against him. First-degree murder, first-degree murder of a law enforcement officer, two counts of first-degree criminal attempted murder, first-degree criminal attempted murder of a law enforcement officer, Assault of a law enforcement officer, discharge of a firearm into an occupied structure, possession of an instrument of crime with intent, and recklessly endangering another person. While the searches continue into the dense forest around the area, Corporal Alex Dixon's viewing is held at Marwood University and hundreds of people attend. At times, there was a line around the block of people there just to pay their respects to the fallen officer. Another press conference is held where Pennsylvania State Police go Liam Neeson again on frame, saying, if you're listening to this while cowering in some cold, damp hiding place, know one thing, Eric, we are coming for you. I have so much love for whoever is writing these speeches. The next day, Corporal Dixon's funeral is held at St. Peter's Cathedral in Scranton, and the streets are a sea of police uniforms from all over the country. Officers as far as Alaska have flown in to attend their fallen brother's service. You couldn't walk down the street if you wanted to. I cannot even begin to describe how crowded this funeral was. Think Times Square on New Year's Eve, but more organized, and almost everyone is wearing a version of the same outfit. I'll be posting a bunch of pictures from his funeral and the highlight for today's case, and honestly, it's beautiful. It's horrible and sad and heartbreaking, but it's also breathtaking. The federal government files a warrant for Frayne for flight to avoid prosecution, which is honestly just done to make arresting him easier. Because there's a federal warrant, he can now be arrested anywhere in the country that he's found. It's likely that when he is finally arrested, the federal charge will be dropped and he'll be handed over to Pennsylvania State Police for prosecution. Time passes and still no frame. He's added to the FBI's top 10 most wanted list, which is nuts. He has joined the ranks of Ted Bundy, Warren Jeffs, and Osama Bin Laden. Holy shitballs. The Pennsylvania State Lottery also pitches in to help by adding Frayne's photo to every single one of their billboards in the state. There won't be a soul in Pennsylvania that doesn't know his face or his name. On September 18th, schools in the area remain closed, and it's a good thing that they were. A heavy police presence is seen about 300 yards from Frayne's parents' home because his dumbass powered up his freaking cell phone and tried to call his parents. Obviously, authorities traced the call immediately and narrowed his location down to a five-mile radius. It is officially on. A roadblock is set up on Route 477 between Lower Seas Hill Road to Beartown Road. It's a really short section of 477 and only about a quarter of a mile long. I'll toss a map of this into his highlight. A command post is set up and dogs are immediately sent into the woods along the road. 
Armored vehicles are seen entering Mill Creek Road, which is two small left turns away from Lower Cease Road, the northernmost part of the roadblock. Residents are told to stay inside. Anyone trying to get to their homes are told to turn around and head to the local fire station where a shelter has been set up. Unfortunately, I use the word shelter loosely because conditions were less than favorable. The residents were left to sleep on the floor or in folding chairs. Some literally chose to sleep in their cars above the sleeping conditions inside of the firehouse. News stations do their thing and try rushing to the scene of the chaos, and police aren't too thrilled about it. Kyle Rogers of CBS 21 was rushed away by an officer who told him to get out. Leave before you get killed. Uh, yes, sir. And while all of this got everyone's heart racing and adrenaline running, nothing came from it. Frayne was not located, and everyone was told to return to their homes, though I'm sure they were scared shitless at this point. The search for the cowardly cop killer continues. Just a day later, the adrenaline pumps again after shots are heard in the area. Immediately following, helicopters are seen flying above the exact same location they had searched the day before. Police are once again deep in the woods searching for the man who killed one of their own. Locals are told to stay away and residents are ordered to shelter in place, directing them to stay away from doors and windows. Police notice an abandoned home that has a screen door that has very obviously been kicked in. They storm the property, but Frayne isn't there. Shots are heard again at 7.15 p.m. and they go without any explanation. Shots were fired earlier, helicopters are called out, police are everywhere, and more shots are fired, and not a word is said about why. People speculate that it was an exchange between Frayne and law enforcement, but it's just not true. The search continues throughout the night, and the shelter-in-place warning is extended until noon on the 20th. At noon, it's extended one more time before being officially lifted that evening, though authorities urge everyone to stay out of the woods, which sounds like the plot of a horror movie. On September 21st, police give an update on the search and dive into the details about everything they found during all of these searches we've been seeing them conducting. At one of his abandoned campsites, they found an AK-47 and hidden ammo cartridges. They also worried that there might be pipe bombs hidden around the area. Without the AK, this means he's down to that original 308. Later that day, the same roads are closed after a man believed to be Frayne wearing all black was seen entering the woods. While all of this is happening, a law firm in the area completely capitalizes on the chaos and advertises that residents contact them if they feel like their rights have been violated during the searches for Frayne. I hate it when police show up in my backyard looking for a guy who might be hiding back there with a rifle pointed at me. Those inconsiderate assholes. Yeah, that law firm will not be making friends anytime soon. On September 24th, more shots are heard in the area, and police say that they're perfectly timed with the possible sightings of Frayne. So you know what they do? They roll a motherfucking tank through the woods. Go hard or go home. Police reveal that prior to the shooting, Frayne had searched the internet extensively for strategies on how to avoid a police manhunt. Frayne actually removed his hard drive for good measure before heading out into the woods that night, but searches on other computers showed that he had been planning this 
all of this for years. Authorities say this is a game to him. And it is. Otherwise, this asshole would be in Wisconsin by now. But no, he's sticking around, running in circles, playing hide and seek with the very same group of officers he took aim at just weeks ago. Police update that they've been searching local abandoned and seasonal homes along with sheds in the area and in doing so found Serbian cigarettes left behind. You'll remember that Frayn is big into LARPing and his favorite role to play is a Serbian soldier. Along with the cigarettes, they found soiled diapers. Diapers are actually pretty common when it comes to actual snipers needing to lay in wait for extended periods of time, but that's not this guy. He's on the move. He's literally shitting his pants so he can feel cooler. That's a sentence I'll never get a chance to say again, so I'm going to repeat myself. Eric Frayn is shitting his pants so he can feel cooler. Now, the internet trolling game is strong, and before long, there's a full-blown Twitter account dedicated to Frayn's poopy diapers using the hashtag DiaperSniper, which we are fully going to take advantage of. An anonymous source says that the diapers might not be Frayn's, but I've never met anyone named Anonymous, so I'm sticking with the diapers and running with it. I find it hard to believe that they just so happen to find grown man-sized shits in a grown man-sized diaper, along with a missing AK-47 and some Serbian cigarettes. This is a weird dude. Anyways, a rumor starts flying around that Trooper Douglas was the real target in this entire thing. It turns out that Douglas is friends with Frayn's sister-in-law, his brother's wife. Frayn was in his brother's wedding, so there's a solid chance the two ran into one another before all of this. Rumors spread that Frayn may have shot Douglas because he was having an affair with his brother's wife. However, polygraphs were done and police interviewed all parties involved and the affair theory is quickly squashed. The theory honestly wouldn't make sense anyways. Douglas was shot second. The sniper manual found in Frayn's room actually discusses shooting an individual to attract a crowd that you can then shoot into. And he did just that. He shot Corporal Dixon and then shot the officer who came to his aid. He also wouldn't have needed to wait for shift change to shoot Douglas. I don't think Frayn had any order in which he planned to shoot. I think his target was the uniform and when he saw it, he pulled the trigger. Everything that happened afterwards was by the seam of his pants. This shooting is much bigger than revenge for his brother's wife, whom, again, no one is sleeping with except for his brother. On September 26th, the police head into an abandoned hotel, the Buck Hill Inn, that Frayn was known to frequent quite often. Add that to your list of red flags. Don't date a guy who hangs out in 100-year-old abandoned hotels. Too many places to hide bodies. Nope. Anyways, they search 11 hours and again yield nothing. On September 29th, residents hear a huge bang, which police confirm was the use of a flashbang. For those of you who don't know, a flashbang is like a really annoying and non-lethal grenade. It makes an earth-shattering boom and then blinds you with the light of a thousand suns, and before you know it, you're in cuffs on your front lawn. They must have used it during the raid on a row of abandoned houses they set to clear out that day, but flashbang and all, we are still no closer to finding Eric Frayn. The next day, police update that in the last 24 hours, they've run into two pipe bombs that can be triggered by a tripwire. Because of this, two more charges are tacked onto his already growing list. One charge of possession of weapons of mass destruction for each bomb found. So when police say to stay out of the woods, they're not trying to be dicks. They're trying to keep you from bombs and bears, but mostly bombs right now. Whenever this diaper sniper search comes to an end, they're going to have to do some serious recon to make sure the woods aren't full of guns, ammo, and pipe bombs left behind by this asshat. 
On October 3rd, authorities announced that they've seized Frayne's food supply, which consisted of ramen noodles and canned tuna. His blood pressure has to be obliterated at this point. No way you can stay on top of that kind of sodium intake, man. They advise grocery and convenience stores to check their security cameras for anyone going through dumpsters, as he will certainly be desperate for food before too long. Another sighting of Frayne comes and goes. Dogs and police and helicopters, oh my, but nothing comes of it. The dogs have a pattern of picking up on his scent, but ultimately losing it in the end. On October 8th, police detail a letter they recovered from one of Frayne's campsites that details the night of the shooting. Had a shot around 11 p.m. and took it. He dropped. I was surprised at how quick. I took a follow-up shot on his head and neck area. He was still and quiet after that. Another cop approached the one I just shot. As he went to kneel, I took a shot at him, and then he jumped in the door. His legs were visible and still. I cannot imagine being Dixon's widow and hearing the matter-of-fact details of her husband's murder straight out of his mouth. He continued his writings by saying that he hit a roadblock after 15 to 20 minutes and did a K-turn and went down an access road, missed a trail, and drifted off into a runoff pool. Disaster. Yes, you are a dumpster fire. On October 17th, there's a confirmed sighting of Frayne wearing all black and carrying what they describe as an AK-47, which I don't think is accurate. I believe he was sighted, but I don't believe it was the AK he was seen with because the AK was found abandoned on September 21st. I'm guessing it was a 308 he was seen with, but semantics. The next day, a father and son hunting in the woods come across a tripod for a rifle. They report it to police and believe it belongs to Frayne, which again would reaffirm that he's out there with the original long gun he used in the shooting the month prior. The fact that he has a tripod set up scares the shit out of me, though. What was he looking at and why? Did he intend on taking more victims or was he just doing the creepiest people watching ever? Later the same night, around 9 p.m., a woman is walking her dog near Pocono East Mountain High School in no shit, sees Frayne just chilling beside an abandoned house in an empty truck. She shines her flashlight on his face, and he doesn't so much as flinch. But she books at home and calls 911. I would have shit myself and assumed that he was going to follow me to my house and murder my ass, but he didn't. On October 19th, New York City says, hold my beer, and plasters his picture all over Times Square. Dude is fucked. Sightings are made over the next few days, some near schools, some near a post office, and one lead that led scent tracking dogs right to a man's back door. But still, nothing. But on October 24th, there's a little movement. It isn't what anyone expected, but it's worth going into. A guy named Michael is charged with lying to police and telling them some bullshit about how Frayne came to him in August asking for a forged identity in order to get into Canada. That would have been a month before the attacks. Not only was this complete garbage, but he also low-key tipped the police off that someone would think to go to him to get a fake identity. So not only is this Michael character thirsty, he's also really, really ridiculously dumb. Blood samples are found around the community on two different porches and one around a chicken coop and all are taken back for comparison against frame. But as far as I can find, they all come back negative. But I mean, who's bleeding all over these people's yards then? Whatever, that's another case. Let's get back to this one and talk about this giant ass blimp in a box. That's actually what it's called. It's a giant balloon and it looks like a volleyball ate a Mario mushroom and it's tethered to the ground flying hundreds of feet in the sky 
taking aerial photos and surveillance. They figure it would be cheaper than constantly using planes and helicopters, though it cost $1,000 in helium just to get up there. It can work unmanned for three days, but spoiler alert, the balloon was a bust. <laughs> I love puns. But three days later, it happens. On Thursday, October 30th, 2014, seemingly out of nowhere, authorities announced that Eric motherfucking Frayne has been apprehended. He was surrounded by the U.S. Marshals Special Operations Team in a field near an abandoned airstrip in the Poconos. Frayne, who was unarmed, had stashed two rifles and a pistol in a nearby abandoned air hangar that he had been hiding out in. The Times Free Press notes that Frayne actually asked if he could tell the marshals where the guns were stashed so that kids wouldn't find them. But surprise guns are just a fraction of the epic mountain of shit they found in that hangar. ABC News lists that they found toilet paper because no one wants surprise poison ivy on their ass, clothes, a radio, toothbrushes and other shit for his teeth, fucking laundry detergent, his laptop, a raincoat because he's a delicate man, and even nail clippers. Eric Frayne was taken away in the handcuffs and squad car that belonged to Corporal Dixon, the officer whose life he stole 48 days prior. He's processed and held at the Pike County Jail attached to the same exact barracks he opened fire on over a month ago. He'll be arraigned at the Pike County Courthouse the following morning on Halloween Day at 9 a.m. Prosecutors are not shy about the fact that they plan to seek the death penalty, and I'm okay with that. The next day, as scheduled, he's arraigned. He softly answers yes and no questions. He has no representation with him and does not enter a plea of any kind. A preliminary hearing is set for November 12, 2014. Eventually, Frayne is assigned two public defenders and a sergeant with Pike County Corrections tells ABC that he will wait in maximum security protective custody in a 5 by 8 cell until his next hearing. While he's waiting, two more charges of terrorism are tacked onto his ever-growing list, while one of the attempted murder charges is dropped. But fear not, there were two. His federal charge was ultimately dropped as well, but we already knew that would happen. His November 12th preliminary hearing is rescheduled to December 9th, and the December 9th hearing is rescheduled again to January 5th, 2015, after one of his public defenders withdraws himself. And I can't say I blame him. I would have to sell my soul before I became a defense attorney, especially when you're stuck trying to defend shitbags like this one. January 15th comes and the preliminary hearing is held. Corporal Dixon's parents and widow are in attendance where they have to watch CCTV footage of their son and husband being callously murdered by a man he had never met. Frayne looked like a completely different human, like he had taken a thousand showers and slept for a hundred years. No deals are offered and ultimately the judge orders Frayne to stand trial. On January 29th, this motherfucker pleads not guilty. Excuse me? What? You left your ID in the Jeep registered to your parents, which you abandoned near the scene. You left a handwritten note detailing the shooting and a confession to your parents and the laptop you left behind in the abandoned airport hangars you were arrested at. This is so dumb. It hurts my body. 
The only reasoning I can think of behind him pleading not guilty is that maybe he hopes they'll offer him life in prison instead of the death penalty if he were to forego a trial. But that's not going to happen. Everyone wants justice here. While we wait for trial, Trooper Douglas undergoes more than 15 surgeries and has to have his hip replaced, but he's optimistic that one day he'll be able to return to duty, saying it would be an honor. In March, a street is renamed Corporal Byron K. Dixon the Second Way. In June, a tree is planted in his honor at the elementary school he attended as a boy, and in October, an exit ramp in Bloomington is named after him. Time passes and passes and passes. This is a death penalty case, and that means that it will go so slow that it will risk going backwards. In June of 2016, a judge denies a motion by Frayne's attorney to throw out the death penalty, saying it was unconstitutional, which was a really dumb argument. It's also decided that in an effort to give Frayne the most fair trial possible, they'll be selecting jurors from an outside county. We're getting close, you guys. In January of 2017, a judge denies any form of insanity defense, barring Frayne from presenting any kind of evidence alluding to mental health problems to defend his actions. And on October 4th, the trial finally fucking begins. While we know most of the evidence that will be presented, there is, of course, some that comes to light only in the courtroom. The prosecution reveals that just days before the shooting, Frayne used his computer to look up various local police departments. He didn't even know which one he was going to shoot at until this point. He didn't care who he shot. He just wanted to make sure they were law enforcement. He also Googled whether or not a cell phone could be tracked if the battery was removed, which proved to be a waste of his time since he tried to call his mommy just days into the manhunt. But then it gets to the tough stuff. It's easy to despise Eric Frayne, but listening to the damage he did to his victims rips right through your soul. The first shot Frayne took to Corporal Dixon pierced through his bulletproof vest and two lobes of his lungs. The second shot at Corporal Dixon went through his right shoulder, severed his spine, and exited out of his left shoulder. Either one of the shots would have proven to be fatal. The third shot fired by Frayne hit Trooper Douglas on his side and went through his intestines before exiting on the other side. He crawled on his hands and knees with blood pouring out of him, using what last strength he had to open the barracks door and then collapsed on the floor of the lobby. He told his fellow officers he was dying and that he couldn't feel his right leg. At one point, officers rushed outside and started firing into the woods, not knowing what was going on, but knowing that the threat was in that direction. The courtroom was shown photos of the scene, which included the lifeless body of slain Corporal Dixon. The morning call says that a woman in the courtroom softly sobbed. Dixon's parents and widow cried as they heard troopers retell how they frantically searched for an American flag to lay over Dixon's body as it lie outside on the ground outside the barracks. The morning call also detailed how a fellow Marine who was at the barracks at night stayed with Dixon as he was taken to the hospital, then the coroner's office, and then to the funeral home, saying that Marines never leave the body of a fellow Marine unattended. The second day of the trial is canceled after the diaper sniper took a fall while brushing his teeth. You can't make this shit up. But it resumes on April 7th. The defense tries some shit by saying that the interrogators use their super secret magical powers to get information out of Frayne after he had invoked his right to remain silent. I don't think it counts when you decide to stop being silent, though. Damn those sworn-in wizards. They also claim that his parents hired him an attorney 
at super speed, but that the attorney was barred from seeing him that night. Oh, really? Then why did Frayne have absolutely no visitors in jail? Why did Frayne have to apply on his own to be assigned a public defender? Why isn't that attorney representing him now? Seriously, this is a sad defense. And while we're on the topic, I get loving your kids, but if your middle-aged child who still lives at home snipes a bunch of cops and causes mass hysteria for a month and a half, maybe let him figure this one out on his own. On April 11th, the interrogative wizards presented a video of Frayne saying, I did this. No one else did this. All I can say is I'm sorry. When police asked why he targeted two officers he didn't even know, he said it was because he was 31, still living with his parents, with no prospect of a future. So add that to your dating list of red flags. Frayne was actually crying during this interview when answering questions about what he had done, and said when he saw other officers who were looking for him, he never thought about harming them. Whether you believe him or not is up to you. On April 13th, Frayne's diary is presented, which made it clear that he had access to media, saying that calling him a survivalist was catchy. It also detailed him breaking into a house and stealing food and begging for mercy from Jesus Christ. On April 18th, Trooper Douglas took the stand and testified about the excruciating pain he's in every single day of his life. He cannot feel anything below his knee and has to wear a special brace for his foot. The next day, both sides rest their case and the jury is released to deliberate. Within four hours, the jury reaches a unanimous verdict. Guilty on all counts. And now comes the penalty phase. Will he get life without parole or the death penalty where he will spend 23 out of 24 hours every day locked in a tiny cell until he is ultimately executed? Frayne's mom takes the stand and says, My life has been a living hell over the past two and a half months. When the DA asks how Dixon's family must feel, she says, And I shit you not, they have closure. We will never have closure. Oh, hell no, she didn't. I never thought I could dislike the parent of a killer more than I abhor Chris Watts' mom, but look at this bitch breaking records. On April 27th, 2017, Eric Michael Frayne is sentenced to death. In May, his attorney filed to vacate the death penalty, saying that the testimony, Dixon's wife, and basically everyone was too powerful for any jury to possibly make a logical decision after hearing it. So basically everyone Frayne spoke to up to this point has been a wizard in the defense's eyes. Clearly, that shit was denied in April of 2019. Tiffany Dixon, Corporal Dixon's widow, has filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Frayne's parents, saying they missed warning signs and didn't use reasonable care in restricting access to their firearms, knowing their son wasn't fit to possess them. She also claims that his parents fueled his anti-government beliefs. The civil case is still being pursued. Had Frayne lived a different life, had his parents paid more attention to the weird shit their son did in his free time, had safety precautions been made with the guns in the house, or had common sense mental health laws been in place when it came to purchasing and owning weapons, we might not be having this conversation, but we are. The men who run towards gunfire when everyone else is running away from it were the ones under attack 
that quiet night in September of 2014. They never saw it coming, but someone else could have. If you see something, say something. It's better to report it and it be nothing than to not report it and it be something. Check out Eric Frayne's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley for any and all photos and maps pertaining to this case. And join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern for Crime Talk Live, where you go live with me and we discuss the intense manhunt and what may or may not have been his motive. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for one whole dollar a month, your episodes will always be ad-free. And if you need a little more true crime in your life, for just $5 a month, your episodes episodes are ad-free and you get a bonus exclusive episode each month that only Patreon subscribers get. I'll be bringing you a brand new case one week from today and I cannot wait but until then we out.